Just wanted to say I appreciate all of the response from last week's uh, podcast with Dr. Joel Hunter. And this week, it's Ashley Cleveland. Ashley Cleveland has for years been known as one of the greatest voices in Nashville. I've got friends there in the business, and they continue to talk about how amazing her voice is. And her smoky blues rock voice continues to pick up new flavor and character as the years go by. It's also grown warmer over the decades, right alongside one of her two one-of-a-kind Gibson acoustic guitars. There's a green one and a pink one. Uh, They were custom-made for her, and the sound of those things have gotten warmer as well. She's also the author of Little Black Sheep, which follows her life story of finding meaning and recovery in faith. I recommend it if you haven't read it. It's an easy read, quick read, very interesting, good story. Her new album will be dropping soon, and next week she is taping a Christmas special with Emmylou Harris, Winona, Pam Tillis, Lori Morgan, Daly and Vincent, and that should be airing sometime around Thanksgiving. I first met Ashley more than 25 years ago and have interviewed her a couple times since, mostly in the 90s at the old Cornerstone Festival. And I have followed her career with a lot of interest ever since. Uh, Ashley had expressed some concern that these kind of interviews are not her forte, but I think she really nailed this one. Uh, Ashley Cleveland is a singer and songwriter, and I will add, I was going to tell you this, uh, one of my best friends in Nashville has been in the business up there for for years. Says that your reputation up there is one of the best voices in Nashville and has been for years and years. Um, you got well, nine, lovely to hear nine albums. Is that right? Yeah, we just finished number ten, number so it 10. should be out in the next few months. And what's it going to be called? One more song, <laughs> which may be the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and your book, uh, Little Black Sheep, a memoir, which I read when it came out, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I was going to ask you, you know, you said you were sort of pestered into writing that book. Are you pleased with how it turned mm-hmm. out? I am. I am. I'm really, um, I'm pleased with how it turned out, and I'm pleased with the places it took me, and I'm pleased that it sort of opened up the possibility to me, which I've taken advantage of, that I could be, in addition to being a songwriter, that I could write prose, that I could write a book. And um, so now I'm working on a couple more. People don't realize how hard work that is, writing a book. That's, that is extremely hard work. Well, I'm years into the one I'm working on now, and I think I'll probably have it finished within the next six months. But it's, yeah, it is. to Well... You know, I mean, I, I don't think it's all that hard to write. To write something that's worth reading, that's another story. Well, that's, to me, that's writing. You know? Everybody thinks they can write. <laughs> yeah, that is writing. It's yes. The, it's the famous uh, uh, story that Anne Lamott tells that she was at a uh, some sort of uh, a charity event, and a surgeon came up to mm-hmm. her and said, oh, I've been writing a book on the weekends. And she said, yeah, and I've been doing some heart surgery on the weekends as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's, you know, that's similar to, I, I played a mega church once down in um, Fort Lauderdale, and the, you know, it was quite, uh, it was a pretty tricked out church in terms of, it was very nice. And um, the pastor, you know, was really beautifully dressed and he kind of breezed in when I was doing my sound check and he he said hello and then he said hey you know I play some harp uh, or harmonica Um, and he said "Uh, so maybe I'll jump up and jam with you when you when you do your uh, set and I said that is fantastic because I preach and I'll jump up and jam with you when you start your part. That's awesome. That <laughs> he he did awesome. not think that was funny at all, oh but gosh. I did. You know, I just thought people people sort of, they look at the arts as something less than or something hobbyish that anybody can do if they just took a few minutes and cranked it out. And And I think... Writing 
is some of the hardest, you know, or making music. I mean, that idea of pulling something out of the air where just before that there was nothing, you know, it is it is as hard as it gets. And sometimes I think I would rather do eight hours of manual labor than write a song or work on this book because it would be easier for me. And in some ways it would be, and then at the end of eight hours, I would have something very satisfying to look at and look at again. But with writing, you can put that kind of sweat equity in and get nada. But but you use the gift, and so maybe the next time you sit down, you'll get something. And um, so that's, you know, it's uh, it, it's been a great career. I would not, I mean, you know, I just think, I'm so fortunate to be 60 years old and to be plying my trade still. Um, but at the same time, just the notion that it is a simpler activity or it is something um, less than is absurd. It's, well, really, it's a notion held by people that don't try to do it. <laughs> well, or don't understand it all. You're right, because art is an artist yeah. is never done. No matter what me, your medium is, no. even if you like, you've just finished another album. I mean, you're like you said, you work an eight-hour day in a manual labor. You come home, you can watch television and stuff. There's nobody going to call you about what you just did. You've, you've worked right. Your, but, you hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you hope. But yeah, now that is, I'm not. I mean, I'm not glorifying that because I, I don't. I'm, I'm with you. I don't want to do that. But. Uh, it is one of those uh, things that people. Uh, you mentioned sermons, and in a sense, any 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 art uh, that speaks to people is a sermon that just lasts forever because you ten different people listen to it or look at it or read it, and can walk away with at least seven or eight different you know <laughs> takeaways from it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Why we jumped right into the deep end, didn't we? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, with me, I live in the deep end, yeah, so me, it's very. I mean, it's well, hard be, for I'll, me to chat with people. But, I'll, try, you know. I'll try to. I'll try to to swim us back over to the shallow end here and there. <laughs> so we, but, okay. But on your book, one thing I was going to ask you about your book is if if you um, is there anything you wish you had not put in there, or anything you might you wish you had added that you didn't or didn't make the cut? Um. You know, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything specific other than, you know, I would have, if you live with something long enough, you can always think of ways you could have improved a good bit of it. Not all of it. I mean, there are some things in there that I would write exactly the same way if I had it to do again. And as far as wishing that I had included something or left something out, I think... I, I was really careful about what I put in and what I didn't. And I, you know, the only person living that I was concerned about as far as content in the book was my mother. And she was really amazing. She would not read it before um, before it was published, and it drove me insane. And I would call her and say, Mom, I'm sending you these galleys. You have a few months before they go into publication, so anything you want to change, now would be the time. And, you know, I'd call her back and say, Have you read those galleys yet? No, I've been so busy. And um, and finally, uh the the deadline came and went and she she had not read it and I she came shortly after that for one of my children's high school graduation and we were in the car together and I said mom I got to tell you I am really concerned about the fact that this book has gone into manufacturing and it's going to be released and um and you haven't read it. You haven't, you know, signed off on it. And I, you know, I, it is not of any interest to me in any way to say anything you wouldn't want me to say or to be hurtful to you in any way. And so, and then I just left it there. And she said, she said an extraordinary thing to me, which stays with me. And that is, she said, uh, 
I know, honey. She said, but here's the thing. I wanted you to have your say your way. And she left it at that. And when she did finally read it, she said, she called me and she said, I think it's wonderful and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but she she gave me that. And I thought, what an amazing act of generosity. She's what very, a very brave. You know, she was very brave. I mean to do She that. is brave, but also she knows me. And right. so I think she knew my heart and she knew that I was there was I mean, I had every intention of telling my own story that's was my aim but of course i didn't grow up in a cabbage and so i mean or a vacuum and i so my own story is is includes other people's parts of their stories and so there's just no way to tell it without including them but uh but she was great about it and my father had already been gone for quite a while and uh um, so how old is your mom now? She's almost, she's 84. Now, where does she live? What so, part of the country does she live in? She lives in Northern California. So the book I'm working on now is about her because okay. she's such an, a funny, interesting person. So, uh, so that's been really fun. Well, you mentioned, uh, I think in something I read about when you were doing the book that you were a big reader. What kind of stuff do you read? Uh, what, what, what do you like to read? Oh, I read all kinds of things. It's the same when people say, what are your favorite records? It's like, I can't go there. I'm I'm a child of the late 60s and the 70s. There's too much good music to pick from. And um, I am just a devout reader. So I read everything from poetry and essays to memoir and biographies to thrillers, to, you know, any kind of fiction, a lot of nonfiction. I'm just interested in a lot of different things. And so this summer, some of the stuff that I've read that I've really loved is I went back. So I read um, uh, Annie Dillard's Teaching a Stone to Talk, which may be my favorite thing that I read this summer. And then I read um, uh, the Once in Future King, where mm-hmm. um, where Camelot came from, and and also the Sword and the Stone. And um, I, I'm uh, part my lineage is part British and part Scottish. So uh, you know, I just thought I can't have I can't be a Brit in my ancestry and not read some T. H. White. And it was it's wonderful, and um, so what else have I read? Yeah, my heart good to talk to a reader because I, I knock out two or three books a week in addition to everything else I'm doing. I, I just I have since I was my dad actually taught me to read before I started school back in the real early '60s, and uh, just he always said if you want a book I'll buy it. You read it, tell me better. I'll take you to the library. So. I, I've been a reader and a writer my whole life. It, 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 it is. Um, it's good to talk to people. Do you do any? Are you listening to the audio books? Do you do any of that kind of? Oh yeah, I love all that stuff. Yeah. I just it's a good way love to add it. another book I, to the thing. <laughs> yeah, and I love pod. In fact, you know, it drives it drives my children nuts because you know, for years now, I loved. I like to listen to public radio. Right. I'm, I'm people. My kids would get in the car when I before they started driving, and they'd hear the NPR music and say and start groaning. <laughs> well, I'm with you. In mind. But I love change the radio, and the problem is NPR uh, is their volume set and tone set so low. If they change the station, it's just like <laughs> blasting. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's you know, and so and I love like podcasts like This American Life and. Um, there's just so much interest. Uh, any human interest, any stories. I just there's a a guy, another British writer named Lawrence Osborne, and I just am finishing up a book of his. And he started out writing travel guides, but now he writes kind of noir. They're not they're 
sort of thrillers, but they're they're studies in humanity too. And um, but but they all take place in a particular place. And and his writing is so evocative about wh- how he brings to life the place. So, for instance, this one I'm um, finishing up is the. Uh, it takes place in Cambodia, and I know nothing about Cambodia except we were in conflict with them, and I have a vague understanding of the part of their history that included the Khmer Rouge, and um, but nothing really. I've never, you know, I've never even thought much about it. But the way he describes it, I feel like I've had a little trip to Cambodia, and. And have an understanding, just kind of a cursory understanding that I didn't have before. And that, to me, I mean, you can sit in your house and 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 time travel and globe travel just with books. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think our generation is the last that's going to, I'm afraid, be in that category, though, actually. Um, I hope not. I don't know, though. I have a, my youngest child's a poet and a writer and a reader and... You know, she's currently boycotting Amazon because it will be the death of, the, of print. So I just think, well, may I, I'm hoping that there's another generation coming along that sees the value of all this. I hope you're right. I have a, a, folks listening from all over the world, and, you know, every week I get, or this thing started out weekly and it has gotten a little less than weekly, but... Um, I get emails and stuff from people asking me for more information about the guests and all these things. One of the things, if somebody had, had not heard you sing, what would you suggest they start with? What, what's the essential Ashley Cleveland to start with? Oh, my gosh. That is such a great question and so very, very difficult to say. Because it's interesting. People... Um, people gravitate towards different records of mine. And so I would say, um, I would say there are, you know, my first record was Big Town, and a lot of people came to the party with that record and Bus Name Desire. And both of those records, uh, quite honestly, uh, are uneven. So there's, if I was going to go listen to Big Town, I would listen to Angel, Walk to the Well, uh, and Rebecca, and maybe Love on the Main Line. If I was going to go to Bus Name Desire, I would listen to End of a Long Goodbye, uh, and Henry Doesn't Care. And then uh, the a lot of people in the Christian world, my first Christian record, or that was a technically CCM record, although I had no idea what that meant, so it's just sort of a vague nod at it. Um, but a lot of people like, and it was the first record I had that won a Grammy was Lesson of Love. And there's uh, there are things on there that I really like. I love the song Lesson of Love. I love He Is. And, uh, and then the next record was a live record. I would say a lot of people, but the most looked at YouTube video I have is a, a video of me doing Gimme Shelter and so that would be a good introduction to the way I sing that was going to be and a nomination always, yeah. always been a great Stones fan um, much to the consternation of, of, of some of the um, gatekeepers in the Christian industry but since I've never really been that much a part of the CCM industry, I just think, well, why does anyone care? But I love the Stones. <laughs> I want to get back to that, that point in just a minute. I would also throw out there maybe uh, "My God Called Me This Morning." I like, I really like your cover of that. Oh yeah, I love and yeah, "God Don't Never Change" yeah. was. I grew up listening to traditional black gospel, so that record, I love that that genre. I love. Uh, I, I feel like the African-American people gay, are, have given our nation, a, a, you know, an unbelievable gift in music. As, and it's such a, it's one of my favorite art forms in music. And so 
on that record, I really love, I love My God Call Me This Morning. I love uh, When This World Comes to an End, and I love Joy, Joy. But I really like that whole record, actually, for the most part. You and, can't go um, wrong with Blind Willie Johnson anyway, any of his stuff. And, no, I don't uh, think so. So, oh, and then Nobody sounds like Blind Willie Johnson, either. That's the great thing. No, I, I know. I know. Heard, so, I mean, have you ever, ever, ever go heard ahead. Sister O.M. Terrell? No. Go check her out. It's where Richard, Little Richard got all of his vocal licks. I'm not kidding you. Ah. She predates Little Richard, and right down to the little oohs, that, that all came from Sister William yeah. Terrell. It's incredible. He had to have heard this woman because they sound so much alike. Um, well, that's so, I mean, it is so funny how music is passed on in the most, wonderful ways because bb king used to say that he his approach to guitar playing he tried to play guitar the way that mahalia jackson sang and i thought i can hear that yeah you know my wife would would suggest just because she heard the guitar part and she plays guitar some too uh she loved to recover holy 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 and when she figured out the tuning on it she really enjoyed playing that that one so Oh, well, tell her thank you so much. And so that's the other genre. Aside from the music I grew up listening to and the music that I write, I love traditional gospel songs and I love old hymns. So I did make a record of nothing but old hymns, and there are things on that record I love. And, you know, I mean, it's hard for me to pick essential listening because I would probably pull something from each record and say, Here's, you know, it's like what I was saying about my book. You look at each, you get a little distance and you look back and you say, well, that really holds up. We got that. But this one, well, we missed it. So, you know, it's, every record is, um, is a series of hits and misses for me, so. You, uh, speaking of um, things that hold up, you've got to be the only person in the world with that green Gibson. How long have you been playing that guitar? I've been playing the both those Gibsons. So I have a purple one, or it's magenta. It depends right. on how the light right. hits it. And then the Dove, which is the one you're referring to. I've had those. I had a very brief endorsement deal with Gibson, and they made those for me right before my first record came out. So I've been playing them since 1990. Okay. But those odd colors, the reason why there's no repeat of either one of those colors is that I went, invaded their electric guitar finish file. And those are actually electric guitar finishes. So <laughs> the reason no one puts an electric guitar finish on an acoustic guitar is they're heavy. Right. And they damp they dampen the sound considerably, really. So, um, I, for me, I, I just had the attitude, well, they're really just road guitars in that I'm not going to use them to record with, and I want them to sound good, but Gibson's, you're, you're going to get a certain quality anyway, and, and I thought, I, I, I want something signature looking, I want something unusual, and, and I have to say, over the years, the finishes wear down, and um, and they sound they sound pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I just know a lot of people that I know have have listened to you are always making comments about the guitars too. It's just, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know what my one of my Their best conversation friends, piece. One of my best friends is uh, his dad actually played with Elvis, um, but he. Um, he loves that green guitar. We were talking about one time guitars, and he's got a ton of guitars. Speaking of which, you were married to a guitar player. And yes, I really am. Want, I just watched his rig rundown video. So how many guitars <laughs> do y'all have in the house? <laughs> Mercifully, we only have about 40 guitars in the house, but in, but that's only because Kenny has a, he, he uses a cartage company to, they take his gear to his, sessions to right. his recording sessions so he um he's got i don't even want to think about how many guitars are over there among other things so well, he's, he's he, uh, he he's one of the best so he needs him i guess some of, some people collect and some people play them but uh some do a little both i guess 
He, me, yeah. He's he's less a collector, more a player. Yeah, he's really something. Um, I know in your book you mentioned you first started playing uh, guitar and you were sort of marveling at Joni Mitchell, I guess, along with the rest of us back then. Uh, how long yeah. did it take you to realize she was using open tunings and you were trying to play some of her songs? <laughs> well, not very long. And, and the reason for that was back in those days, the song books you could buy oh, yeah. like if you if you had a record you loved you could go buy the songbook and um and it would be this you know just comprised of the music most of it was notated music and then pictures and things like that but this incredible thing happened for me, where and th- and this was a big part of my training because I'm pretty unschooled, but in Joni Mitchell's songbooks, she included the tuning and the fret fingerings for each chord, so she literally showed you what she was doing, and and that was unusual because a lot of people were playing in tunings, but I didn't know that like. You didn't get that from a Crosby, Stills, Nash no. songbook, but you got it from a Joni Mitchell songbook. Wow. That's very cool. I know. I wish they still existed because I could learn some new chords. But <laughs> Do you still practice? I think they've gone the way of the dyno. Yeah. Do you still practice guitar a lot? Or? You know what? I practice more now than I ever did. I sing and, I try to sing and play every day. My goal is an hour. I don't always hit it, but I always... but but. You know, it's that Chet Atkins thing of, um, what was it he said? He said, if I don't pick up my guitar every day, it gets to where it doesn't know me. (laughs) (laughs) But I had some, you know, I developed, I got into the habit of not practicing, and I started developing these, uh, these, uh, things singing that were hurting my voice i started singing really wrong and doing some things pushing that were hurting me and so i went through this odyssey of several years where i just hated the way i sounded and and also i had this thing where i every time i sang i'd kind of hike up my larynx in an order to push but rather than help me it cut off half my power and half my um range and so i've been so i took a bunch of lessons and i've been trying to retrain myself uh how to sing again properly and um really it's it's only been in the last few months that i feel like i'm on to where I used to be, and I don't ha- have all the range back. I don't know that I will because I'm older, but um, but I've got a good bit of it back. And, you know, I don't know how long my hands are going to hold up. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to sing in in a way where somebody would actually want to listen to me sing. So I'm going to make it last as long as I... So now, you know, now I'm going to make it last as long as I can because now I'm in the age of trying to hang on to what I've already got. What what kind of stuff do you play and sing for fun, actually, if you're just sitting around by yourself? I usually practice... Well, so I always start... After I warm up for a while, uh, every day I do Chain of Fools (laughs) because... Aretha Franklin, no one is ever going to touch her as a singer. And I'm going to argue Ella To me, she's the most. Well, yeah, and I was, I never, you know, I never went there. I, I don't know enough about Ella Fitzgerald, and you may very well be right. But I guess just for me, her, the way she sings just touches a, a, something in my soul that I think this is a, a freak of nature never to be repeated. And um, so I, I, I just always, I can, and it's not, I'm not practicing so I can go perform it. Mm-hmm. I just practice it because, you know, I just think that's the gold standard right there. And, I think it would uh, be a good one to add to your, your repertoire, though. If you've been practicing it that long, it's a great song. 
It is a great song. Well, I, you know, it, I, it, it wouldn't be beyond me to pull it out, but it would, it, you know, there would. I'd have to be in a certain frame of mind to have the temerity to do it. And um, and then a lot of the time, I play my own songs simply to practice delivering them. Because you know, it's like I want to do all the. Th- I want to see the songs I still enjoy playing live. I practice them, and then I see where I'm kind of failing in them, if I am, and then I work on that so I can kind of completely devote whatever head, whatever thinking I'm going to do in the practice room so that when I get to the uh, when I get to the show, I can stop thinking and just feel it. Thinking is the enemy of any great performance, so... Yeah, it's that finding that pocket, that zone there. Um, are, are playing guitar and singing spiritual practices for you? Do you consider them that? Or are they are absolutely, yeah. absolutely, especially when I stop thinking. <laughs> yes, it's a communion. You know, it's communion with God, the Giver of all good things. It's communion with the people I play to. It's it's and it's. And it's an expression of a of, of a pure gift, and I, you know it's. And to me, music one of the many value. I mean, music has such extraordinary life giving value. But for me, it is that articulation of the inarticulate. It is the the. You know, even though I put words to my songs, it's more about the the feeling underneath it. And that's where there are no words. There's nothing adequate enough. You're just you're just hoping that with with a handful of words and the right music underneath it that you can get close. Yeah, that's uh, that that gets back to the heart of what we talked about earlier about art in general is trying to find that place. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament where it uh, says one of the prophets, the way it's translated, it's not exactly accurate. It says they saw the back of God's head passing by. What they actually said was they saw the place where God had just been. And I heard an artist one time mm. saying that was his goal is to kind of get into that place where he felt like he'd like you said, hit the communion place, and when he came back to his senses, he realized he had been to the place where God had just been, you know. Um, I love that. Yes, exactly. You, and, yeah. You've written a lot about your faith, and uh, do you have other spiritual practices that you make a regular part of your life? Mm-hmm, I do. I get up <laughs> ridiculously early, somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30, but usually right at five, so and maybe a little bit on either side. But and I, before I do anything, I usually sit down and spend about an hour um, reading scripture and poetry and meditating. And I like to meditate on the Psalms. I like to. Sometimes I like to just. Meditate. I've been reading the Book of John just one verse at a time for for years, and um, or and I'll meditate on that. Or I'll, I mean, I have a real desire to know Christ, and I think I realized a couple of years ago that even though I'd been a professing Christian for years, all my life, really, um, I didn't feel like I really knew Jesus. I felt like I was much more tuned into God the Father, and so I, so I thought I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit with the Gospels for a long, long time, and, um, and then, and that's when meditation kind of opened up for me. I just would take the verse and sit and just try try to empty my mind, which is not easy. Try to. Uh, try to stop the chatter, which is also not easy. But what helps me is I uh, I just get into a listening mode. I just start, the birds are just starting to wake up, and so I just listen to them. And then I, I just 
just listen. And most of the time, uh, I don't feel like the Lord says anything to me, although occasionally I feel like he has, and it's it's been meaningful. But most of the time, it's just a sense of presence, and that is that kind of changes everything for me. I ask all my guests this exact question, but usually later in the interview, I'm going to ask you because you've kind of gotten to it now. Who is Jesus? <laughs> well, that's why I started doing that. You know, I have a pretty traditional Judeo-Christian view of Christ, the the person of the Godhead who was both man and God and who gave himself for me, for my sins, and 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 welcomed me into his kingdom. But that's, you know, that's pretty scripted. I think, you know, what I would say today is Jesus is is the person of the Godhead who picked me up out of the deepest possible hole and taught me how to live that's perfect because it kind of leads into the next couple of questions recovery has been such a big part of your story Uh, how much clean time do you have now I just picked up a medallion for 20 years that's awesome yes what what do you think miraculous it is. Every person in that room is a miracle. What What do you think that people outside the recovery community fail to understand about addiction? That it has no moral moral implications. That it is an illness. That that the addict, no one is, no one despises the addict or their behavior more than the addict or alcoholic, and that. They have lost, we have lost the ability to choose. And only something outside of ourselves, only a power greater than ourselves can give it back to us. Yeah, I, I tell people that want to argue about the disease thing that, you know, just know that mm, a large number of people who have gotten better uh, have done it by treating it as if it were a disease, whether they want to accept the DNA part of it or not. Um, in the in the big book AA, Bill W. writes that it's impossible to stay sober and have any meaning in life without gratitude and service. Um, yeah. Have you found that true in your recovery? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Both of those things. I... Um, I, I really... Uh, the service work is is a joy to me. I, I sponsor, um, well, depending on on who's active and who's inactive, anywhere uh, around eight people. But that really just means I, I, I go with, I, I'm there for them. And I, I've done this 12 steps numerous times, both in AA and in Al-Anon. And so I have a understanding of that, and um, uh, and I just am there as a witness uh, to walk through the steps with them and encourage them to do the work because recovery is work. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. It doesn't just. It's, it doesn't just. You don't just get it laid on you. <laughs> it is a daily affair, in my in my opinion. But I just think gratitude and service are not just the keys to recovery from alcoholism or drug addiction, they are keys to to coping with this world, period, and this life. So, I mean, I they are... When I'm in trouble, it is usually because I'm complaining and I've gotten so wrapped up in myself... Uh, that I'm not of any use to anybody else. And the only way out for me is to go get involved with somebody else and 
help and be of service if I can be. And you kind of have led into the answer to my next question, is, is what do you think the church can learn from AA and NA in the 12-step movement? Well, first of all, how to tell the truth. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I was, so, and what I mean by that is there is, I think, one of the things, when a person who has no prior understanding of how 12-step programs works is goes to an open 12-step meeting, and what they mean by open is that it's anybody can come. You don't have to be... Um, a closed meeting is only for those who wish to stop doing whatever the meeting is about, you know, stopping doing. So if it's AA, a closed AA meeting is only for those who wish to stop drinking. You don't have to have stopped drinking to come to one, but you... You know, it does have to be your issue. An open AA meeting is for anybody. If just it's curious, they can go. So anybody is welcome to attend an A open AA meeting. And I think one of the most staggering things that happens for someone when they go is the level of honesty. It is because we tell the truth. We lie to our own destruction. You know, the big book talks about how really there's only one type of person that it's been proven only over and over again that is incapable of recovering, and that is a person that is incapable of honesty. And, you know, I, in my experience, and that's a limited experience, but in my experience, I, I've seen the truth of that over and over again. So... And in the church, there is, you know, regardless of whether people are saying, you know, I'm free and forgiven, the minute everybody is supposedly free and forgiven, they're busy getting the outside of that cup clean and trying to make it look like it stays clean all the time. And um, so the level of honesty drops. Or there is a hyper-focus on what other people are doing. And uh, so I think for me personally, what has been so great is when I'm in a 12-step environment, my purpose is to keep the focus 100% on me. What, do I, what, what needs to change in me? What am I doing that is destructive and creating problems? Because there's always something. And also, uh, to be honest, and um, I think, you know, those two things alone are so valuable to me. And it's not all, I mean, I, I've been involved in some extraordinary churches, and so I, I, I don't like to badmouth the church. It's too easy, <laughs> It is, but at the same the time, church does. at the same time, though, somebody needs to speak the truth in love because I'm, I'm, I've been involved in, oh man, almost six decades in churches and stuff, and also about four in A and NA, and um, of course, you know, we both know that the, the difference is, I think, people learn to pretend pretty quickly in church, and if you do that in AA or NA, you don't live very long. And um, right. you can live an awfully long, sort of stressful and inart- inarticulated life in the church by pretending, like you're saying, keeping the outside of the cup clean and trying to fit in and find a sense. And I, I always have called it the idol of goodness. Everybody, you know, Jesus has been replaced with being good. Yeah. You know? Right. And um, right. Do you still go to church? Is that a part of your life? I do. I do. Sometimes I have to make myself, I'm not much of a joiner, but I, I really believe that the church is for the people and that we're called to be part of the body. And so if I didn't believe that, I probably wouldn't go, but I need to go because I'm kind of a loner and introverted. And so it is good for me to to go and to be part of and to serve there too. And And I'm in a lovely church right at, at the moment. And Glad, glad to be part of it. They're, they are tremendous people. Well, you mentioned when we started you've got a new album coming out. What else is next? What's coming mm-hmm. up next for you? 
um, a few years ago, this film company in Los Angeles, uh, the the head of the company, uh, my manager gave him one of my books, and he actually read it and got interested. And so for the last few years, they've been filming this documentary on me. And 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 the interesting thing to me is that they he didn't really I'm you know I'm uh, I'm well known to as a small group of people, but the greater populace has no idea about who I am or and doesn't care. And so um, he didn't know anything about what I did as a musician, so he kind of came to that secondarily, but he got into that. And so the, his company's been doing a film for a few years, and it's finally finished. So they will... He's plugged into that world and very much into the, you know, into film distribution. And so they're going to start pitching to film festivals this fall, I believe. And um, so that's happening. Title? It's called Who's the Girl? When um, I got signed to Atlantic Records, uh, Amit Erdogan, who was one of the most iconic record executives that ever lived and responsible for discovering and signing Aretha and Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Led Zeppelin and and just a host of -of one-of-a-kind talents Um, and the head of Atlantic Records in New York. um, Somebody had pitched him a project, and I wasn't part of the project, but I was actually hired to sing a duet on it. And they... uh, and the person that was pitching the project was hoping that Amit would like the project and sign it to Atlantic Records. And he sent a message back and said, um, I'm not interested in this project, but who's the girl? Wow. And that's how I got my first record deal. That is awesome. That's a great story. I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing that. That you know, And it'll start showing up here soon in places? And Well, one could always hope. Who knows? I mean, I think... It will the, the, generally what they do is they pitch it to f- film festivals and try to get some notice. And um, one of the producers in the company sits on the board of Sundance, so that's a good thing. Yeah, and good. Um, it doesn't guarantee anything, but um, and then and then after that they they go they look for distribution, and that would be with cable channels or premium channels or some, you know, there's so many ways to see content now. It's just everywhere. So, so I don't know, you know, that's their world. It is very much not my world. So I kind of, and also it's a full length feature film. So I just have to, I mean, I've, all I cared about was that it was, accurate and not boring uh, you know honestly <laughs> but yeah, those are pretty good and, pretty good uh, things to check on <laughs> yes but but it's good i really like it and and um and i'm glad i'm just so glad and and, and grateful that they did it and i and who knows what'll happen with it i would imagine at the very least it'll be in a nashville film, film festival because one of the things that's really wonderful about it is it's a lot about that that period of time in Nashville. And Nashville has changed so dramatically since then. It was a really wonderful time. It was a great era for the city of Nashville. And so they include a lot of that because I was part of that. And that, so for people that are interested in that, that's, it's a great sidebar to the whole thing. Well, this last question I ask everybody as well. Uh, when was the last time you laughed so hard you could hardly catch your breath? Well, um, I think probably I call my mother, and honestly, I have no idea what she said, but my mother is really funny. And um, so I call my mother on this book I'm writing about her. We have an, um, an appointment once a week. She's in California and I'm in Nashville. And um, we have an appointment once a week to talk on the phone, and I interview her for this book. And so I'm sure, we, you know, and a lot of the time we just start laughing and can't control ourselves. Because, you know, not only is she really funny, but we're from the same 
stem. So we find that the same thing is amusing. Well, Ashley, I hope everybody will be watching for Who's the Girl and your new album, which should be out when? I think sometime this fall. So before Christmas? You know, it, it all, it kind of, yeah, it depends. How but, have you avoided but we'll do Christmas at least a album? soft release. How have you avoided I have Christmas avoided. Album? Thank you for noticing. <laughs> I've, you know, I, maybe I'll do one. <laughs> I always just think, you know, if, when, if and when I make a record, it's because I think I have good enough content right. that's worthy of a record. And I just about have enough content for a Christmas record. Well, that's and, have you heard Bruce Coburn? And I do love... Are you yeah, I'm a Bruce, Bruce Coburn. Coburn. You've heard his Christmas record? Yes. But to me, that's no, the Christmas record. It, oh, it's incredible. came out 10 or 15, 20 years ago. It's been a long time. Uh, it's just Bruce Coburn Christmas. And oh, I'll have to get it this oh, Christmas. Man. Thank you. I'm always looking for something new to listen to. Yeah. Over Christmas, because I love I'm, well. Christmas is dicey for me, but I do love Advent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll enjoy the Bruce Coburn album. And but anyway, the new album's called what again? Remind everybody again. Uh, one more song. One more song, and who's the girl coming out? Uh, actually, I've enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate you taking time. Oh, this has been really fun. Thank you so much. If Ashley does do a Christmas album, I'll be first in line to get it. If you haven't really uh, had a chance to listen to her music, you can check her out on uh, YouTube or iTunes or any of the places or go to ashleycleveland.com and look at her discography and find out uh, her books available on Amazon. And if she comes to your area, her website will show you and you really need to make a point of getting out and see her because she is, and I, I really don't overstate it, you know, really one of the best best voices of our time. So... Appreciate her taking time to be on Thinking God Podcast and appreciate you taking time to listen to us chat it up, talking about faith and hope and reasons to continue thinking about God in, in this world. And what better way to end this podcast than with Ashley Cleveland's cover of Gimme Shelter.